they all said amen. amen. Pray with me. Father, we come before you now to ask your blessings upon this preaching moment. Thank you for this worship experience. I pray now that you would empty your preacher, that you would expose the passage, that you would encourage your people. Be blessed in this hour, we pray, even in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the rumor is out. I heard a rumor about Tallowood. They said a revival is going on around here. And so I thought I would come to see what all is taking place at Tallowood. And I'm excited to be here to share with you this morning. I'm reminded of a story of a gentleman who lived across from a church, and they tried everything they could to get him to come to church. His name was Jim. They tried to get old Jim to come to church, and Jim just would not come to church, wouldn't come to prayer meeting, Sunday school. He just didn't attend the services. And so finally, in the middle of the week, the old church caught on fire. And lo and behold, when all the commotion was settled, there was Jim on scene with his garden hose trying to put out the fire at the church. And so the pastor said, Jim, what are you doing at church? We've been inviting you to come to church, and you've never come to church. Jim said, the church has never been on fire before. <laughs> so I think if the church catches on fire, someone may come to see a burn. And so I've been hearing about this revival. I really wanted to attend it a night or two this week, but my schedule wouldn't let me. But I'm here, and, and here's what I think my job is. When, when, when you take off in a plane or jet, it's at full thrust. And when you cruise, it's at a certain altitude and speed. But when you land, you have to slow it down. So I've come to land the plane. Land of plain of revival. If you have your Bibles, meet me in Genesis 35. I read in the English Standard Version, Genesis 35. I want to read verses 1, 2, and 3 into the record. Genesis 35. Is this what's, what's doing that? Do I need to take this off? Somebody tell me something. Genesis 35, I think he has us to stand for the reading of the word, if you would. Genesis 35, 1 through 3. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. The word of God for the people of God. Let's talk about back to Bethel. Back to Bethel. Thank you. You may claim it your seats back to Bethel. 
turns out that in Genesis 35, we have two themes that run through this chapter, one of completion and one of correction. It is the story of completion because Jacob is now back in the land of promise with his family and his wealth and in victory, and the goal has been achieved and the promise fulfilled, but it is also a story of correction for the family had not completely held to the walk of faith. There were idols that were among the family. So in a very real sense, the text is talking about Jacob's attempt to recenter his life again. Jacob's attempt to recenter his life again. And so in the first 15 verses, it records Jacob's return to Bethel and the completion of his vows. If you remember the story, when he left on the run from, from his twin, when he left on the run, he was fearful, but he encountered God at a place he named Bethel. Turns out that Bethel means house of God, and it was at this place where he and God had this encounter and where pledges and promises were made, and he said to God, if you will be with me, if you will go with me, I will vow to serve you and to live my life for you and all of those kinds of things. And then in the interim, we see that he loses sight of all that he had promised God. And so it took a return to Bethel. It took God calling him back to Bethel. And I think it wasn't so much the place of Bethel as it was the spirit of Bethel. He needed to be back at Bethel, and he needed to dwell there. For at Bethel, there was brokenness, there was helplessness, there was humility, distress, and necessity. When he was at Bethel previously, he had made an altar to God, and now God calls him back to the altar. It turns out that the altar, A-L-T-A-R, will alter, A-L-T-E-R, your life. The altar, now that was where you were supposed to say amen. <laughs> the altar will alter your life. It will change and make a difference in your life. The altar is the place of sacrifice. It is a place of death, but it is also a place of worship. Literally, it is the place where we are allowed to worship God because a sacrificial death has occurred. So what does it mean? What does it mean to go back to Bethel? What does it mean to recenter your life? What does it mean to refocus your life? What does it mean to seek revival? Well, it begins, first of all, with a return to the place of acquaintance. For revival to take place, for a return to Bethel to take place, it requires of us a returning to the place of acquaintance. God appeared to Jacob 
in his time of greatest weakness and failure and instructs him to return to Bethel. He's on a return home, but God says, you got to get in a hurry and move and meet me at Bethel. Why Bethel? It was at Bethel that Jacob first built a monument to God. And here's what I want to say. When we begin to feel overwhelmed by life, we need to return to the blessings and the place of blessing in the past. So we need to recenter. We need to revitalize our lives, rejuvenate our lives. We need to return to Bethel. We need to learn to think differently. We need to remember what God has done for us in the past. We need to get beyond the staleness of our lives so that when our spiritual lives begin to feel stale and unfruitful, it may be that we need a return trip to Bethel. What happens? We remember the day when we met Christ. I was listening at all of this beautiful singing and worship this morning, and, and I almost forgot I was on to preach. I was caught up in the worship and enjoying all that God was doing through his people as we assembled. And it seems to me that when revival would take place, it will happen when we can all remember when we first met Christ and when we let him into our hearts and when we recount all of the many circumstances that he has led and brought us through. And when we compare our lives since grace has come into our lives, when we review scriptures that, that brought us through, and when we remember spiritual leaders and teachers that taught us along the way, it seems to me that like Jacob of old, we can regain our perspective on the journey back to Bethel. It becomes a valuable step, it becomes an important step, but it is only the first step, that is to return to the place of acquaintance. Jacob says, put away your foreign gods. Cleanse yourselves, purify yourselves, change your garments so that we can go back to the house of God. So it seems to me we have to get rid of the things. That's my second thing. Get rid of what hinders your growth. Not only do we return to the place of acquaintance, but we have to get rid of what hinders your growth. I'm talking about for revival to have its fullness and the fullness of its effect in us. So Jacob not only returned to the place of acquaintance, but he also purified his life. If you remember the story, you remember that his wife stole one of the family gods. Turns out that all of them had lost their focus on the one true God. And I think sometimes what seems harmless to us can become harmful. That, that was another spot where you was. <laughs> I see, I need to come here more often, y'all. <laughs> it is easy to think we don't have a problem with idols today, but here's what I want to tell you. Anything that takes your attention 
away from God, anything that takes your thoughts away from God, or anything that causes us to have less devotion toward God and worship of God, that becomes an idol. There you go. See how it works? Well, I'm telling you the truth. I think we're going to get this thing together. And so anything that would influence us, that would take our minds or our eyes off God, it becomes an idol. So there is the idol of personal power, obsession with work, advancement, making money, being controlled by the issues of material gain, idols of pleasure, those things that we allow to govern our lives that we say brings in enjoyment and pleasure and the feel-goods of the moments, idols of undue influence, giving over to the culture and the televisions and the personality and philosophies that come and go, idols of superstition. I'm trying to tell us we can be obsessed by idols because anything that has more influence on our lives than God has become your idol. And we're called in search of revival. We're called to put away our foreign gods. We're called to, to turn away. It, you see the intent in that? To turn away from and to turn to. And I noticed I didn't get to watch it, but, but it's been burning his heart so much. By the way, I was telling someone earlier that it, it almost happens that when I do look at Tyler Wood online, I always hear him calling my name. <laughs> and I'm not getting my checks in the mail. <laughs> it is that we, we return to Bethel. We go back to the house of God. It is that we put away our foreign gods, that we cleanse and purify ourselves. We're doing what? We're recentering our lives and recentering our focus on God. We're putting Christ back in the center. It is that he says, God has spoken. We must arise and go up to Bethel. Put away, he says, the foreign gods, those things that we've picked up along the way that have caused us to become Distracted. <laughs> Finally, it is that we honor God with genuine worship. And I'm through. With God, with Jacob, rather, we expect to see a man stressed by his circumstances, but we get close to him and we see him engaged in a moving act of worship. When we want to be centered in our lives, we need to gain perspective by returning to Bethel and by getting rid of the stuff that has hindered our walk with God. And listen, brothers and sisters, when we do that and we can refocus on God, we can get back to really worshiping God. And by the way, that's kind of what worship is all about. It is about keeping God where he belongs in our lives. We often have trouble distinguishing 
worship from a worship service. Worship is being lost in the wonder of God. True worship is really not about us, but it's about him. Stories told of a young lady, older lady rather, that came to the Lord in, later in life, and she couldn't really learn a whole lot of verses of Scripture. She really kind of hung around Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and she learned those two verses, and she could tell them, she could recite them. That was her go-to. But as, as sickness began to ravage her body, the verses got shorter and shorter. She couldn't remember verse 5. She was down to, in all thy ways, acknowledge him. And, and the verse got shorter and shorter. All of the sickness was raging in her body and in her mind. And it wound up that on her dying day, on her dying bed, her dying words were two. All of the verse dwindled down to two words. Well, actually one. She said, him. Y'all missed it. <laughs> she couldn't remember acknowledge him. She just said him. Can I tell you, if we make him the focus, we can really worship him in the beauty of holiness. And here's what I know will happen with us if we worship him. Worship forces us to stop and remember his greatness. Oh, choir, y'all just Y'all set my toenails on fire this morning. They, they blessed us. The music was beautiful. The worship was beautiful. Even, even, even my friend directing was, everything was just, can y'all join me in West Point next Sunday? See if we can repeat this on the other end. When we worship God, it forces us to, to acknowledge his greatness. When we worship, it helps us to see clearly and it silences the competing voices around us. We need to worship. We need genuine worship. We need soul-stirring worship. Worship puts life in proper perspective. It is reminding us that the eternal is far more significant than the temporal. Worship brings courage to our soul. By spending time with God, we are reminded that God loves us and that he is working for our benefit. We are reminded that we belong to a great God. Now, here is where the cream comes out the coffee. This is where my blackness would come into effect. If I were back at home, this is where I would, all that would take place. Worship softens us in our relationship with others. And as we ponder our own forgiveness, we are made more willing to forgive the sins of those who have hurt us. When we worship, we are mindful of Calvary. As we gather, as we assemble for worship, our minds are always focused on Calvary, and if I had time to tell you, I would tell you, never has one death 
been commemorated and celebrated like that of our Lord and Savior, which occurred so many years ago. And yet that one event has such everlasting effects that it, is, it, is a, it was an untimely death, but it came right on time. It seemed like such a curse, but it has become such a blessing. He died in such agony and horror, but it took that to justify us from our sins. All I'm trying to tell you is Jesus died. And when you can remember Jesus died, it was God at his best. A holy God meets a sinful man and forgives him. A just God meets an unjustified man and justifies him. A loving God meets a lonely man and comforts him. A merciful God meets a miserable man and blesses him. All I'm trying to tell you is we live light in view. We live life in view of Calvary. Can I tell you, he died, but the preacher in me won't leave it there because following crucifixion is resurrection. Amen. He who died, he who died to pay all of our debts, he who died to pay for our sins, he who died to open the doorway of deliverance, he who died on the altar of atonement, he who died in the place of our provisions is the hallmark of our hope. It is the seal of our salvation. It is the proof of our pardon. It is the only solution of our sin, and that is he rose. Amen. And so on Sunday morning, we worship him. On Sunday morning, we are reminded that we serve a risen Savior. Amen. He's in the world today. I know that he's living whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. I'll tell you what he does. He walks with me. Excuse me, I didn't mean to holler at y'all. <laughs> he talks with me all along. Watch it, watch it, watch it. Now that's going to get something started. All along life's narrow way. He lives and we worship him. Let's go back to Bethel. Let's go back to God's house. Let's have revival. May the Lord bless you, I pray.